That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus focused vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high quality naturopathic doctor designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Okay, welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. It's Dr. Dave here and I'm, I'm hanging out with uh, Dr. Nick Centrito today. Um, did I soften the tea enough on the centrito there, Nick? <laughs> yeah, it sounded good. It sounded yeah. great. Give us the real oh. Italian sounding. <laughs> if no one was saying it, it would be centrito. That's what I want to know. Yeah. That's what I want to know. Okay, cool. Well, what else do we want to know about today? We're we're uh, we're sort of like local buds. Um, yeah. And we we started hanging out during a pandemic, which is always you know unique. Um, and. Uh, I think I think you're super sharp, and uh, that's why I wanted to have you on because I like I like smart people with smart ideas on the show, um, and we could talk about a ton of different stuff uh, as we've found out from doing our little uh, brainstorming yeah. session together. Yeah. <laughs> so you're a Cairo, um, yes. and I mean that that you you work in Own Sound. I do, and you've been in practice for about four years. Uh, three and a half. It'd be four in September. Okay. Yeah. Maybe give us a, if there's, you know, if there's any, uh, anything that you deserve more of an intro there, then, then bring it up now. And then we'll get into sort of how <laughs> that, that sort of leads to our, you know, your personal, uh, uh, journey in Cairo, how that sort of leads to our talk into like chiropractic in general. Sure. Um, well, I graduated from CMCC in 2018 and, um, kind of need to decide like where I wanted to practice but also where I wanted to live I felt like Owen Sound was an awesome place to live and um, there was opportunity for me and my then girlfriend now wife hooray um, (laughs) for work so we started here and I joined as an associate at uh, one of the existing more traditional Cairo practices Um, not that it didn't provide a good space to meet people and that I couldn't do things there but I started to realize really quickly that my niche was in uh kind of coaching of people and helping them with movement and being uh, able to observe that and I simply couldn't do that in 
the confines of a smaller little office with a room and a table and maybe like two therabands. So I uh, started talking around. Um, I got in with Josh at Owen Sound Fitness and Training. I got to start using like that gym facility. So immediately um, was able to take a more active approach with people. So in addition to the traditional um, orthopedic, hands-on kind of manual practice, also able to start um, incorporating like strength training and mobility and just things um, that people needed but often weren't getting in a traditional setting. Um, I was lucky enough like within a year later to be um, approached with an opportunity to join the like brand new team at Connect Rehab. Shout out everybody. Um, <laughs> um, and it's awesome. Um, so since then, um, I've been working there primarily. I still do stuff um, down at the gym every now and then. Um, but it's been really nice being able to be incorporated into an interdisciplinary practice. Um, and we were talking before about the difference between interdisciplinary interdisciplinary versus multidisciplinary inter meaning that yes we're all in the same building what we're, we're talking to each other and we're collaborating with each other um and in doing that i feel like patients and clients alike will get more than the sum of the parts versus if you're seeing your chiro here your physio over here nobody's talking to each other stuff is lost in mm -hmm. translation um and yeah couldn't be happier with uh, uh my professional setup currently as you could say Cool. Well, I mean, even in your little intro there, th therein lies some of the seeds of what we want to talk about anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the first things I, I was going to jump on, and I'm glad you talked about the interdisciplinary thing. So that's off our list, Nick. Yeah, <laughs> nice. we, we got that one. Um, but you said traditional chiropractic a couple of times, and I, sure. I thought, hmm, let's talk about that and and sort of what traditional means. I would say maybe, maybe even, uh, do you mean more um, conventional chiropractic or what do you mean by traditional? I guess here, what do you I mean by traditional chiropractic? Sure. When I, when I mean traditional chiropractic is kind of like, if you look at like the early philosophies of chiropractic um, was, and I won't go too much in the backstory, but it was noticing that um, treatment, manipulation, or adjustment of the spine um, can help in the management or the, the modulation of pain. And in some circumstances, and I highlight some circumstances, <laughs> other visceral things. So this is maybe a good place to go on it. And I think where like at this point, you can now diverge. You can go like, oh, cool, this can do that. What else is out there? Or it's like, oh my goodness, I found the holy grail of everything. Let's cling on right. to it and only do that. Right. And so I think on one side, and I'm certainly not saying that it's not a powerful tool and there's a lot of good in some cases that can be done with it. Mm -hmm. Like anything, it's a, a context dependent thing. So like I personally have like, let's say adjusted somebody and like within 15 minutes, their constipation had changed. Um, not necessarily I was trying to do it for that or I've adjusted somebody's neck because again they came to me with neck pain we did an assessment we realized that it was reasonable to try this and it helped their neck pain but it also cleared up their tinnitus so to say that cannot help in some circumstances absolutely I've seen it happen right. I know it happens does that mean every case of tinnitus is then fixed by adjusting the spine absolutely not like there's uh -huh. a bunch of different reasons you could have tinnitus so if you're not immediately looking at things through a lens of like, not skepticism, but like healthy discretion and determining when something is applicable 
but also knowing that there in some cases it isn't part of the picture is being lost and i think that's an important thing um more traditional chiropractic is basically the the treatment of the spine to treat whatever not necessarily whatever but you know like yeah um, i know what whatever you ailments and again you can have practitioners that do an excellent job knowing what they do best they primarily do manual stuff they give pertinent education to those patients and they know when it will and won't be helpful and hopefully know how to direct them or educate them or refer them elsewhere. The problem becomes when every everybody becomes a candidate. Um, I think so. My again, God, this is refreshing to hear. <laughs> okay. And I, and I hope I'm not making too many people upset here, but I know that there's, um, there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more um, new new graduates and many many existing graduates there i don't mean to shine a light that like anybody who's like 10 years plus in practices necessarily out of date or wrong because that's not true um, i would include me right yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> again but it's are we willing to are we willing to learn and take on new information as we move forward um because again look 10 years ago in concussions like and the ways like medical doctors and people were treating diabetes like 10 25 years ago it's evolved so everything's mm. been evolved and it's our job as practitioners to evolve with it and keep a hold of the good stuff but refresh some of the outdated stuff and add on new good stuff and hopefully widen our horizons on the things we can use to manage and help our patients at the end of it this is why you're on the podcast. Nick. It's your you. first one too. You're doing so off to a blazing start. Ever podcast. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I think what you're talking about there is not, you know, you're talking about it from the perspective of a chiropractor. And and I sure. think what you're saying there though, should, should be taken to heart by every kind of practitioner. I'm right? trying to make that the, like, I'm trying to kind of give you what I'm seeing from my end within my profession. Yeah but I'm trying to make it applicable to, I know you're, a lot of your listeners are going to be uh, naturopaths or other, um, other kind of like allied healthcare. Um, but yeah, in the more recent years, there's definitely been a lot more of my colleagues who are taking on a more like active role as well. And like, yeah, they're all still doing manual stuff. Like sometimes like good manual can be like the difference on will this nervous system now be able to tolerate the stimulus that we're trying to give it right mm -hmm. uh, you're a gut guy you know you do hands-on stuff and i'm sure in some cases it's like until that person got that thing the changes that we're trying to make weren't going to take place i'm sure yeah. you've seen that so same thing for manual sometimes like that's the ticket that clears the linchpin so that that person now the rehab doesn't kill them every time now it's tolerable and adaptable um so yeah, a lot of my colleagues now, like you'll see them having small gym areas or like instructing and watching people squat. Like if you're trying to help somebody's back pain in squats and all you ever do is like not look at their squat and poke their back, you're not going to fix it. You're not <laughs> like, you got to watch them do the thing. If it's, mm. if it's uh, predictable, like every time I do this, it hurts. You got to watch them do the thing in the context. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you find so much by watching how somebody moves. Yeah. And under what conditions they do it like yeah if they're doing five squats fresh in front of you right now okay probably they're going to do pretty good versus if they're 10 minutes deep in a crossfit wad they're worn out and they're trying to race for their best time every single time two very different contexts under which this person is squatting 
yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's been really refreshing to see a bunch of my um, a bunch of my colleagues and friends like you know, and there's varying spectrums. You don't have to be in a gym. You don't have to have a whole barbell set up, but like to have a space where patients can move around, you know, a weight that is heavier than five pounds for them to lift, um, you know, immediately gives you so much more workability to the management of the patient as a whole and not just their pain. Right. Pain chasing so doesn't work. So that that's like different than maybe the old school. I'm I'm older than you, and I, you know, there's like an old school kind of like sublux. You're saying manual therapy. First of all, I was. Sure. I, let me let me uh, circle back to that. But sure. manual therapy could mean uh, many different things. So yes. I work with a a, a kind of a clinic that has a, a similar sort of spirit to yours of collaboration, um, and you know, rehab, rehabilitation, movement being a, a big part of the the goal and the process. Um, yes it's very different than the old school sort of subluxation based uh, chiropractic come in crack see you later, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. But those are both manual uh, kinds of therapy. So what, when you say manual sure. therapy, are can you can maybe like uh, be more precise with what you're talking about? Uh, like from a chiro standpoint? Yeah. So you said manual therapy. So, I mean that, like sure. I said, there's very different kinds, right? What's the kind that you're sort of talking about sure. when you're talking about manual therapy? More, more traditionally, it would be like, um, like the purists, if you will, would be like basically like spinal manipulation or adjustment right. as they're like 99% bread and butter. Um, right. and then like, as things went on a lot more, um, even if they were, let's say more, um, let's say more conservative or more traditional based, there would be added in like a little bit more soft tissue and maybe like a couple recommendations on stretching. Um, but again, there wasn't a whole lot of, there wasn't a lot of like onus put on the patient to here's what you now have to do. And again, like yeah. just using like whether again, traditionally more um, an adjustment in a chiro setting, but like even more contemporary people, you know, practitioners will use acupressure, like with a thumb, or, um, you know, uh, certain like fascial stretching or different techniques of stretching or pressure or mobilization or ma manipulation. But at the end of the day, it's all the person's laying there. I'm doing something to them. Mm -hmm. And it can be really good. It's a way of us as practitioners affecting the nervous system and the state of the tissues and sensitivity to stimulus. But like I try and, and every now and then you're going to hit it out of the park, you know, like you're going to find yeah. that person. They've had some weird, you know, circuit, short circuiting of something. You poke it with an acu needle or you adjust it. And like their five years of whatever is like 95% <laughs> better with yeah. no extra homework. Like it happens. Mm -hmm. It happens. I wish it was always that easy. But like for the most part, and I try and describe it to patients is like when you sit here and I do something to you, the goal is like that's a window of opportunity in which you can move a little bit better you don't feel as much pain and we can, you know, we could go on, you know, ad nauseum about why that is, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, we've opened up this window, you know, we've given you all this slack. It's time for you to now like take advantage of that. And now you put in good stimulus to then retrain the body, the nervous system to deal with the thing that you're trying to get better at. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, on a small scale, it's like, we're getting better at, you know, like, sitting down all the way to a chair without knee pain but on the grander scale of things it's like okay like walking and independence and you know all of these things that go towards um you know just general health mm -hmm. pain and physical injury is only like a tiny little part about it and it's you know movement is not necessarily there as 
I know we were talking about this before, like a punishment for what you ate or, you know, like something just to keep your muscles strong. Like it's necessary for literally every process, like every process, every system in your body um, is negatively affected when you don't move for prolonged periods of time. Mm -hmm. I'm sure guts are the same way, right? (laughs) Yeah, I guess it is. It's, it's just less, um, it's less apparent. Uh, But yeah, that's like, that's a big understanding, I think, that I got from the Baral Institute who are, um, you know, they're, they're talking about moving organs. Yeah. And this is something I didn't think about much, Nick. I Like yeah. movement of organs. But like, if you think about it, even the kidneys have to move like three centimeters yeah. or so with a breath in and out. So that brings you back to your diaphragm. So if your diaphragm is not moving, man, you're not, you're not. And then you know, like, even like, even like lymph, like how's your lymph getting back? to everything like if your lymph yeah. is draining all your organs like you can get some pretty gunky looking organs movement baby yeah right and like that's not dependent on our circulatory system so much as yeah. it is like your muscles literally squeezing stuff back which never used to be a, a problem i guess like moving around probably wasn't as much of a problem when we were like apes running around the forest for even like 100 years ago it's like if you yeah. want to eat like you better go grow the thing you gotta better yeah. go pick the thing yeah but now like more and more people like the way they earn their resources, not necessarily physically working for it. It's yeah. you can sit at a computer, enter numbers for 12 hours. They give you all these tokens for your food and then yeah. you get, but none of the physicality went into kind of earning the food that you traditionally would have. Yeah. So like you're getting the nutrients, but there's no signal for the nutrients to do anything useful. Yeah. Yeah. What would, do you want to, do you want to, uh, can you, maybe transition that into like movement as it pertains to overall health resilience yeah. or whatever. Cause I feel like this is a weak point of uh, naturopathic medicine sure. in it. I mean, look, there's so many iterations, like, you know, with, sure. with Cairo, there's so many different ways and same with, with naturopathic, I think we're even more susceptible to diverging, but it's not a strength for sure movement. So that's, that's part of my evil plan of getting you on here too, is to maybe just talk a little bit about movement in general. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like, again, I'm not going to be able to give you the mechanisms and, you know, the enzymes and the whatever, but it's just from what I've, what I've noticed with people, um, you know, some anecdotal, but also some just, you know, listening and absorbing stuff, like coming from like, like scientists and like top doctors on these mechanisms. And I just, you know, I'm not necessarily smart all the times. I just remember (laughs) what smart people say. Um, but yeah, like even like, uh, even just in the aiding of like, uh, just overall maintenance and metabolic stimulation of tar- turnover. So like, we're always like every system cells are constantly turning over. What is it like every seven years, like your body totally regenerates. I think every muscle it's like two to three months to fully like replace everything. So like the act of moving around basically is like taking your car for a drive around the block where otherwise you would have stored it all winter. Mm -hmm. It's going to keep lubrication of everything. It's going to keep drawing of energy from certain areas. It's forcing metabolic machinery to turn over and create energy. And we're not necessarily talking about like going out and doing a crazy, like workout. We're just talking about like walking, like increasing your heart rate. Like you get, like movement of vessels, you get movement of heart tissue, like the increased breathing rate is now pressing on your organs and that's helping like move food along. And it's like stimulating your vagus nerve. Like it's a full system kind of recheck. And within movement, you have like varying 
intensities. So the same way you would have varying nutritional, uh, you know, like uh, different areas of nutrition that you have to meet to be optimal in, let's say physical health. And I'm taking like from a movement standpoint, there's a lot of things you got to do for physical health, right? So pillars, mm -hmm. pillars of physical health is water, nutrition, uh, sleep and movement. And I'm sure you could go on to say relationships and all these other things, but like the, the building blocks there, right. For mm -hmm. physical health. And so within movement, we're just breaking that down further. So like movement every day is non-negotiable like like you must like if you want things to work the way they're supposed to work and you want your heart to work you want your digestion to be good it's just like you have to do something okay even if that's just a 20 minute walk okay i try to then go it's like there's your like low baseline just just baseline movement that must be met every day that is good to keep us alive that's not good to help us thrive and it has to be there but we also need to get other things. Like you can't just eat, you can't just eat broccoli or you can't just eat steak. Like you need something else. So within that week. And so this is what like to my patients or like anybody who's struggling with, let's say like uh, weight loss or trying to just be healthier in general is like, okay, we can do a bunch of things from a bunch of different angles. But as far as movement is movement every day, just basic stuff, whether it's a walk, um, you know, walk the dog, uh, I'm out gardening in the backyard for 30 minutes moving around, like just something. Then there's like your higher intensity things two to three times a week. And so that's what I classify as quote unquote exercise. Not that walking isn't quote unquote exercise, but if people think that I'm going for a walk and exercising, it lowers their expectations of what they need to fully express how good their body could be. Yep. So I like to think walking and like super low level, like low demand things is movement. Anything that gets your heart rate up. So again, now a fast walk or a brisk walk or a hike or something. Now we're dipping into exercise a little bit more. Our muscles yeah. are having to work a little bit harder. Our breathing's going a little harder. Everything's just turning over at a faster rate. And so now all of a sudden we have this full body stimulus for uh, turnover. Of, of basically everything. So if you're like, you know, regardless of if people are moving or not, we're typically sitting down and eating, you know, we're eating some form of dinner and, you know, lunch and breakfast for the most part. And people are snacking. Well, we're getting all this building block for stuff, but like you could have all of the bricks in the world. And if you don't have like the form in there to tell the workers what to do, you're not going to get a very good building. So like that movement is that like metabolic signal that okay everybody pick up your shovels and we're going to start doing stuff right now and so now it can like make the best use of all of the excellent nutrients that hopefully you're putting in your body so there's your other piece of the puzzle mm -hmm. i like it i mean it's it's i've had a little for like a little um uh acronym i just call it nmrx and i've i've used that to sort of like say these are some of the foundations nourishment movement relaxation and then my x yeah. is sort of like whatever finding meaning purpose growth yeah. connection so yeah. like a i call it a sterile form of spirituality yeah. so so uh yeah movement has to be in there and, and uh uh it's it, like you said i i think it's it's non-negotiable in a in a daily yeah. sense like when in our history of like evolution were we not moving ever <laughs> uh within the last like 30 to 50 years exactly exactly so you can't you can't overwrite overwrite all that sort of yeah. that that coding that's necessary 
but coming from the opposite side, and I feel like that was a conversation coming from like the sedentary to baseline needs side. But now let's go from the other side. Cause like, particularly because of the niche of uh, patient we'll see is like, we're again, connects, like you walk in, you go through the waiting area and there's like a barbell set up. Right. So yeah. like super, like uh, super, like active promotion, like we're working with a lot of athletes or just like otherwise like normal people that are weekend warriors. Right. And so a lot of stuff we'll see is like just straight up overload. So like you right. can hurt and feel crappy because you never move, but you can also hurt and feel crappy because you are constantly redlining. Right. So this is where like you get people, I see a lot of people in a gym setting. Um, and like, sometimes like, sometimes it's the people who have struggled so long to get active. They start to feel awesome about it. They start to like almost go full on obsession mode. And now they're training super hard six days a week. Yeah. People who get injured or get sick or like, so again, it's like, when we talk about the context of movements, like, yeah, we like, if you want to like, <laughs> movement and exercise is the closest thing to like like an immortality pill you could possibly have you know with adequate like nutrition and stuff is like if you want to live a long time and be robust either move heavy things or move light things quickly and do that sometimes but if that is the only thing you do and you're doing it all the time you are very quickly going to overstep your body your body's ability to recover from said things and eventually something's going to break down yeah and it might not be catastrophic, but it might be like that Achilles, you know, injury you get every single year in soccer because mm-hmm. you don't do soccer for the whole winter and then you play four times a week. Yeah. And then you're told to do strengthening exercises and it's like, but it's overloaded already. Like, why are we yeah. strengthening it more? So it's like right. maintaining resiliency as an average so that when you have to do those things, you're not overloading. And so on the people who are like, my shoulder hurts after I press, but you can press light weights, no problem. It's a load dependent thing. So it probably means that, you know, every time you go into the gym, you're pushing 90, hundred percent of your effort, whether that's how much load I'm moving or how much volume or how many days I'm going a week. And mm-hmm. it's just like, at a certain point, you just can't keep up. Mm-hmm. And until you can treat the ever living crap out of it, you can accurate you can massage it, you can cup it, but like until your recovery surpasses like the demand on it, you're not ever going to get better. And that's where like, if I'm dealing with a simple musculoskeletal thing, you know, like a, let's say somebody shoulder pain in the gym after pressing or during pressing, it's like all of the orthopedics and x-rays and whatever in the world is not going to tell you, is not going to tell you that person's habits. And so you got to talk to them. And so for all like, the listeners out there who are not coming from the practitioner side, like finding somebody that will talk to you and probably somebody whose initial assessment is a little bit longer and spends more time talking to you. You're going to pick up a whole lot of things that you're not going to get in a, in a 30 minute initial. Yeah. And would you say, would you say watching someone move is pretty much part of that too? Like, Oh yeah. 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 Cause again, I could see that. So let's take the same person shoulder pain in the gym. And let's say they're, um, you know, I watch one person and every time they press their arm is way out in front of them. I've just created a lever where now I have to work really hard at the top and I'm going to get a lot of anterior shoulder work. And eventually that's going to be the limiting factor. And that's going to be the thing that goes, Hey buddy, stop. That's what pain is, right? Not necessarily damage to tissue. It's just stop. Now I can't handle it anymore. 
And then if I see, you know, somebody with shoulder pain, but they have full range of motion, their press looks picture perfect. Okay. Maybe it has nothing to do with the movement. Maybe it's just how is this movement being dosed? And so while an appropriate dosage of load can make you stronger or faster or have bigger shoulders or whatever you're going for the way you can, like you can overdose movement or intensity the same way you could overdose medication. Yeah. Like you're only going to get as good as your adaptation is. So again, maybe the person is not doing too, maybe a, a perfectly healthy person is doing too much too quick or they're doing too much too quick after not having done it for a long time. But you could also have a person doing it adequate amounts, but they sleep three hours a night because <laughs> they're playing mm-hmm. Fortnite or whatever. Or, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, they're scrolling TikTok till 2 a.m. every morning and they get crappy sleep and they drink a Red Bull for breakfast. And it's like, you can have the best looking press in the world. You're going to feel like crap. And if it's not your shoulder, it's going to be your back. It's your whatever. So sometimes pain is not necessarily, there's a problem with the thing. And it's just like, there's a problem with the system. Yeah. Cool. Do you want, do you want to talk about, like, I think, uh, you know, you wanted to talk a little bit about what pain meant and you have a little analogy and then I'm going to drop a couple analogies because I can't help it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'd love to get your, I mean, I'd love for you to have uh, like input to this too, and not just well, rambling, rambling well, the whole time. No, 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 you're an expert. That's what, that's my job is to bring on the experts and make you say smart right. things. And hopefully I, I think I'm, I think I'm achieving that. So okay. uh, I just want to talk about a couple of analogies first. Uh, first sure. thing uh, was like, you know, your, your sort of idea of like just walking or whatever movement sure. is baseline or sort of like a, a, at least a, a very minimum. Uh, I thought of, you know, something with diet or lifestyle. It's like, you know, same idea. Please, everyone just eat a kind of like whole foods diet. And you'll notice this is not gluten free. This is not dairy free. This is not like, you know, anything crazy. It's just like, if you do want to uh, feel well, you do have to have a very basic, a basic uh, baseline of diet. And it doesn't have to be crazy. And then you were talking about redlining you know, versus no movement at all. So like no movement at all being sort of like horrible diet and then redlining being people with like orthorexia who are like trying to eat gluten-free, dairy-free, keto. And they're like everything all at once. They're just stressed, stressed, like crazy. Trying to be perfect. It's no longer enjoyable. It's yeah, no, not a big fan. Yeah. So there's some, there's some analogies there, right? Like it's, it's like, I'll never say no to eating a whole pizza but I can do that because I don't often eat a whole pizza. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like if, yeah, I I'm sure I didn't coin the thing somebody else said, but it's like, as far as diets, like if it grows out of the ground or it has a mother, you could probably eat it. And right. if it has an ingredient list, just don't. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, there's some very, very, uh, uh, prescient sort of, uh, similarities there. Um, yeah. but I, I wanted to go into, uh, what, what you, what you know about pain. And, and uh, like the, the wisdom of pain or, or, or like the, cause pain just gets like completely painted right. as like pure negative, uh, right. ho- horrible thing. And so I'll talk to it from MSK standpoint and I'll like kind of throw the disclaimer out there. That's like, I mean, you can have so much like, like the amount that like our expectations or beliefs or, you know, um, whatever like psychological things emotional things play into pain like that's your central volume like whatever the whatever the distal you know uh microphone is saying so the knee or the the back or the whatever again the back could be yelling and you know if i'm 
depressed and I think, uh, you know, like I'm never going to be able to do this again. I'm worried about it. It's going to make it a lot more amplified. So again, if you talk about pain, that's an insanely complicated, like topic, as you know. Um, so yeah. I'm going to boil it down to like, as it pertains to somebody's like rehab or recovery of like a very much mechanical, like back pain, knee pain, hip pain, whatever. So like otherwise normal person, you know, relatively good diet, like no other red flags or weird stuff going on. Right. We ruled out visceral referral and all this other kind of stuff. Um, you know, and it's like, okay, like it hurt when I, uh, you know, it hurts when I run, my knee hurts when I run or something, you know, and we determine that, Hey, okay. Like, you know, we're, we're doing the right exercises and things and things are getting better and they still have pain when they run. And so then I ask them, it's like, okay, like, what do you mean by pain? Cause people feel something weird and they'll say pain. Yeah. And that's not always the case. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we try and use like a stoplight analogy where it's like, you know, like you're one, two, three, you know, kind of four out of 10, you know, it's, it's tight. It's maybe achy. Um, you know, that's like green light. That's like no problems, not really changing the way you have to do something, pay attention to it, but you know, just kind of keep going. You're going to be fine. When it starts to maybe affect your confidence in doing something like a five, maybe a six, it's starting to get a little bit more angry. That's when it's like, can we modify something? You know, like if this is going to get worse, what can we do? And maybe let's say in the terms of a runner, maybe that's not stop. Maybe that's just slow down. Maybe that's walk for a minute, then start again. Like yellow is like a, like a check systems kind of thing. Just like, see how it is. If I push it, is it going to get worse? If I calm down, is it going to get better? And just listen to what your body says. That sharp, ouch, catch, stop. That's a whoa, 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 like too much. And that's not necessarily indicative of something is damaged. Like people hit that and think they're doing damage to themselves in a non-traumatic scenario. For the most part, your nervous system is going to pull that emergency brake way before it lets itself get damaged. Like, yeah, if you fall off of a ladder and break your leg and you get pain with that, it's like, yeah, of course, like that is, that is at the same time as damage, but it's not necessarily because of it. If you, if that makes sense, like, yeah, I, I listened to a, um, I saw a thing, uh, actually it was a Ted talk about pain science and it was this worker got, you know, stepped on this huge railway nail, goes through his boot. He's in excruciating pain. They go to the hospital, they dope him up. Um, you know, took like a bunch of this stuff to take his pain away. You know, then they cut the boot off and realized it went between his toes and not through his foot. So there was zero damage, but excruciating level 10 pain. Mm-hmm. Because his brain is saying, holy crap, there's a thing through my foot. Don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Don't touch it. So it's a warning. Pain is a warning and a pain is a signal. So like to do things just to get rid of the pain, because again, like you got a really angry hip. Sure. A cortisone shot can be super, super helpful in some cases if it's too painful to do anything, but mm-hmm. don't re- like, don't seek it out. And a good doc will tell you the same. They will say, can you do your daily things? Yes. Start working on improving the function of your hip versus trying to kill the pain. Because when you walk, the, all of the things that you will have to do to rehab, a hip, a back, a knee, or whatever, are going to be uncomfortable. Almost always. Because like your body's going to go, I'm not sure if this is safe because we had a something happen. Pay attention. And for the most part, you know, your green light and your, you know, yellow light kind of one to five or six kind of out of 10, 
is uh, pay attention to this thing. The more demanding the thing gets, the more attention you pay. Mm-hmm. When it gets sharp and stopped, that's your body going, nope, I've determined this is not safe. And sometimes that's not rational, right? Like you'll have people who are post-surgery with no sort of like, you know, visible pathology and no strength weaknesses, but they'll do things and they're still getting this um, pain that is not proportionate to what's going on. And that's sometimes where in my practice, I'll find like a really good manual treatment, uh, whether it's MOVs or soft tissue work, or like a lot of those cases, like the prolonged um, pain that's being held onto by the nervous system. I usually go after it with acute because it's typically way more comfortable and more likely to have more immediate like benefit usually in those cases. But um, yeah, encouraging people to pay attention to it and respect it, but also know that you kind of have to live in the being getting comfortable with the discomfort and encouraging yourself to pursue the function. And typically as things improve in function, the pain will decrease in your like mm-hmm. more straightforward MSK things. So it requires it's a bit of like, like um, art. It's a balancing yeah, act. And, and patience. Yeah. And, right? and, and making sure that the patient knows that. Cause like I can know that. And there have been some, <laughs> there have been some cases in the last like month where like I've, I've like thought to myself, even a person I was like, uh, that I'm like more like close with, like socially, I was like, if I could just autopilot your body and I'm trying to make them feel confident that this is not a forever thing and you can totally overcome it. And I'm like, if I could autopilot your body for a month, you'd be like 90% better. And so taking that time to not only give these exercises, but like go through what this person is to expect. Like it is normal to feel this. And like the, the ways I'm explaining things to you right now, these are the exact same things I'm saying to patients, you know, like I will use the term, like your nervous system pulling an emergency break, or just like saying, Hey buddy, pay attention. Like in those words. And I think like you can have the best, the, the best therapist in the world that has the best hands and they know all the research and they know all the tricks, but like, if they can't communicate to the person, like what it means and why they're doing it, that patient is only going to get benefit inside the walls of that clinic and the second you can bring that person to be able to take what they've learned and now apply it you know in their life at work like during their hobbies like they're gonna do way better and now like that's something that goes beyond Cairo and that's just like MD that's naturopath that's that's anybody who has any sort of like relationship with a patient health-wise is like give them all the best things you got but teach them why the hell we're using it and how to interpret them on the outside and when it's useful to do things. And you kind of turn them into practitioner for themselves. And then the follow-up appointments are way less frequent. And we can focus on moving forward instead of just like beating the crap out of the same complaint all the yeah. time. Yeah. And it's collaborative. You know, you, you, we yeah. talked about, we started off talking about like uh, uh, interdisciplinary and then, you know, that, that implies a bit of collaboration. And it sounds like, you know, perhaps this is a bit of an evolution of maybe how you practice or chiropractic as a whole, but, you know, uh, it, it sounds like, uh, yeah, the collaboration and, and the rehab aspect has, has maybe led to a kind of evolution of 
of chiropractic. Is that true? Or do you want to, do you want to just maybe comment on evolution yeah. of chiropractic? I think, I think that'd be a good way to uh, kind of tail off. Cause I got to get going fairly soon, but yeah, that that's what I've seen like in the resources and the things that they're being teach this more like holistic approach at it. And I remember like kind of when I came out of school, it was like, you know, uh, you have back pain, you're doing this too much. Are you doing that too much? Or there's too much compression here. There's trying to find a very like black and white, you know, what's the place to poke, you know, or what's the thing to fix? Yeah. And like, I'm seeing a lot more of the education and thankfully the, um, in like, uh, implementation of certain strategies, um, both technical strategies as well as like educational strategies, like with, with the patients, um, to kind of move towards that more like holistic approach at let's say pain man i'm gonna say pain management just because like 90 percent of people come because my whatever hurts um you do get those people saying hey like tell me to be like teach me how to be the healthiest person but that's like like, like less than five percent right yeah, we get the same sort of thing with naturopaths you get most people like hey i got this yeah. problem and some are just like i want to be well yeah now yeah, i get it yeah do it now <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so like it's nice to see and this is where like the you know, starting to implement things that don't necessarily have like an RCT claiming that this is the cure for whatever. Cause it's like how delayed is practice versus like 17 years. Sure. There it is. I knew you'd have a number. See, I'm not the guy for the numbers. (laughs) I I have an idea of the trends, but not the numbers. Um, what is that? That's qualitative. I'm very qualitative, not quantitative. Oh, usually I think so. Um, (laughs) but, um, yeah, you know, like starting to use things that you know, they've been brought to them. It's reasonable. It's safe. We're taking other things into consideration. Let's try this. And in that person, does it work? Cause like take any, like, again, care or treatment It's like, you'll like take acupuncture, right? Like you do acupuncture. I'm sure you've certain, seen some crazy, weird, wild stuff that like nothing else short of that would have done it. Yeah. yeah. Here. And it's like, then you look at research on something and it's like, might show maybe some efficacy maybe yeah but it's like for that person it more research is needed yeah of course (laughs) but it's like mind-blowing change like in that person like even when i was skeptical when they were skeptical so it's like yeah yeah and what does that person care about an rct they want they want help from dr nick our job is like to have a whole bunch of different weapons and sometimes the weapons are treatments and sometimes the weapons are strategies yeah so that like, and then our job as like doctors is okay. Like when I have an idea of, okay, why do I think this is good? Then my assessment is like, okay, why are all the reasons that I'm wrong? Like prove me, like me, prove me wrong. And then if I can't do that, say, okay, I, I think it's, this is going on. I think this is what we can try. And if you like use like a, uh, a valuable treatment through like a scrutinous filter, you're going to hit the nail a lot more often, I think. Um, and it's nice to see that there have been, there has been a diversification of strategies and kind of scrutiny of which strategies are most valuable when and in what dosage in a lot of the younger practitioners that I went to school with and ones that came before me uh, and just kind of what's being taught in Canada um, in chiropractic college is a lot more 
and even in my uh, even in like my four years there like there was definitely a movement more towards a holistic model even within that short period of time yeah it definitely more specifically near the end but i didn't yeah. really like i didn't really like fully encompass it until like probably like second year of practice where like things moved from real life edic to like other aspects of that so that's been a big yeah. development myself like personally as well as um kind of what i've been seeing in the profession which is great and i think it all brings like it kind of starts like having professions hold hands with each other a little bit more rather than being like off in our own little silos and i think the patients are a lot better for it and i think it's been a lot more encouraging of uh communication and collaboration between professionals which at the end of the day is probably what we want yeah, so I think that's uh, that's a great way to sort of end off yeah. uh, for now, Nick, because I know yeah, you got to get going. Um, but I, I wanted to give people a little maybe taste of uh, some more stuff. We, we have to get together again because yeah. uh, we had some other stuff we we're going to talk to. Like uh, we were going to talk to uh, some things like the myths of chiropractic, how sure. Cairo fits into the modern healthcare team and the, the dance of the Cairo. Yeah. yeah, the dance of the Cairo and the physio, which is a big, uh, I find a, a big fundamental shift that I noticed in um yeah. uh the first probably five years of when i was practicing so um yeah, it's it's been uh it's been a slice it's always fun to talk you're sharp my god you're sharp you think like me thank <laughs> you um no, you're, so we'll you're get together to to sorry no i was saying you're fun to talk to we uh we do always have some good banter so yeah i'm so sure we'll... we recorded our preamble to this you can make a podcast all about that <laughs> So we'll uh, we'll continue the banter and uh, we'll drop some more wisdom uh, next time when we get together. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high quality naturopathic doctor designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada.